You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 187. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Great to be with you again this week. We have an interesting mailbag to start off. I will comment on Kevin O'Leary's recent curious take that he would again back trader Sam Bankman-Fried in another venture after SBF's crypto exchange, FTX, announced its bankruptcy last week. Aaron looks into BMO announcing they have partnered with former tech darling Kathy Wood to launch a couple of new technology ETFs on the backs of her headline fund's terrible performance over the past several years. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Brennan answers a listener question on Corvo, Inc., symbol QRVO on the NASDAQ, which develops and commercializes technologies and products for wireless, wired, and power markets worldwide. The stock has been cut in half from its 2021 highs. Brennan will let you know how the current fundamental valuations look. Brett answers a listener question on Revolu Group, Canada Inc., symbol REVO on the TSX Venture, a microcap. The company is a self-licensed neobank, having secured licenses in Canada, the EU, and the US. The company's flagship technology is RevloPay, RevloPay or something like that, sorry, and an Android and Apple, Apple multinational payment app and Visa card. Brett enlightens us on the current fundamentals of the business. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Breeze, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing good, doing good. good. Ryan's going to get killed in the comments section this week, though. He he almost mispronounced a word, a name. Oh, but yes. Still, wow. That's, All that's, the... This one's going viral. All the uh, keyboard warriors were out there saying that I may have mispronounced. Uh, well, I mean, quit naming your company stupid names, and I will. Yeah, stop, like if the, uh, if the company's that hard okay. to pronounce, That's, like sorry, is, is the yeah. problem with the people trying to pronounce it or the people mm-hmm. that are naming it? I think so. Yeah, we. I think we know where I stand on that. Now, um, Brennan, you hosted the you yourself hosted the Grey Cup this week, and uh, I, I saw there was weak crowds in Saskatoon. What what the heck's going on there? You guys got nothing. I don't else know. To I do. think Why weren't you the at weather that was event? the weather wasn't even too bad. A lot of my friends actually went, but uh, yeah. But it can crowd. be minus, minus sixty. You guys don't blink an eye over there, right? Like you're still uh, out there in your shorts <laughs> and your t-shirts, and I mean. Maybe we'll put on pants, but uh, it's not like a softies you know. out here on the west coast. No, well, no, the Rough Riders were nowhere near it, so I guess you know. But I thought everybody from West. So is that the reason why? Is that the reason why, Brennan? Because your team wasn't in it. I don't, I don't even think or... so. I, I'm no? to be honest, I don't know. Um, Should we blame the millennials sure. like you? Well, I don't know. Is he just? I was. <laughs> I was saying earlier, you know, that uh, you know, millennials are definitely gravitating more to NFL. Um, but I mean, a lot of my, I know a lot of people that went too. 
um, yeah, and yeah. people that were at least pricing out tickets. But yeah. I think, you know, uh, they are pricey. Who, FYI, yeah. you guys don't have an F- NFL team in Saskatoon. I well, just, no, I'm, just I'm, so you're aware. Aware. I'm aware. Yeah. yeah, it is possible to be a fan of NFL. And no, CFL, no, but. can't be. Yeah, only one pick it. That is true. No, actually, a it's true. You could be a fan were, of both. We're yeah, just we're not going to come back there. We're not coming back to Saskatoon yeah. if you can't. Well, it was in Regina, actually. What am I saying? So yeah, that's so true. maybe that's the issue, yeah. right? If we, the if problem. they somehow built a stadium in Saskatoon, full. Yeah, which right? they should have. I don't know why it's in Regina. Sorry to anybody who's listening. It's in Regina, but uh, <laughs> don't want to start that rivalry. But actually, I was I was saying to Ryan, a few of my friends actually, you know, they don't care about CFL. They on Sunday they were actually in LA at SoFi Stadium watching the Chiefs uh, charge game. How many so, friends do you actually have? Because you said there's uh, a bunch of your friends at this game and some went to the CFL game. You know, I tell you this is where the story runs a little thin. I never give you, you names. You, you pluralize names. friends. and then Nobody, we just nobody's say, ever no. met any of these people before. <laughs> yeah, right? no, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, but, just uh, like Brennan's girlfriend's friends names. Nobody's met my, them uh, either. Wow. Ryan Brett and me are Brennan's best friends. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. We love Thanks. you, Brennan. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, let, let's let's move. Nobody cares about the Grey Cup. Nobody was there apparently. So no. Nope. Anyways, is it, Mr. Wonderful, aka Kevin O'Leary, uh, who uh, was a paid spokesman for FTX, uh, he said this last week. It was kind of shocking that he was asked again if he would back Sam Bankman-Fried in his next crypto venture. And he called him one of the most brilliant traders in the crypto universe. And apparently O'Leary and his minions used um, this platform, FTX, and said it was very robust. It gave his team great information from which to trade on. Of course, not to trade well on because he lost all his assets in FTS International. O'Leary himself said the assets went to zero. If SPF knocked on your door again, and said, look, I failed in my last venture. Uh, I have a new crypto venture. I need money. Would you back him? That's a great question. No one's asked me yet. I think we can all admit, you you can love him or hate him given what's happened, but he was one of the most brilliant traders in the crypto universe. He also built one of the most robust platforms. We used FTX actively. It was a very robust platform. Uh, that allowed us to get information on a compliant basis. So I really like what he built. Um, would you back him? The answer would be yes. Now let's break down what he said there. He called SBF one of the most brilliant traders in the crypto universe. SBF's trading company just went bankrupt and took down the robust exchange that O'Leary is talking about, FTX. Uh, again, O'Leary was a paid spokesman for FTX, um, and he said that FTX was the one crypto exchange he would trust compliance-wise. Again, that take did not age well. Now, O'Leary was, was the- also... Sorry. No, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, I'll ask later. Well, he was also asked if he thought in the same interview, Sam Bankman-Fried would end up in jail. So he paused and said, I don't know. So I'm going to get this straight. He is still thinks there's a very reasonable chance that SBF may end up in jail for his actions running FTX 
and helping run Al Media, his trading company, and yet he still would back him. I, I just, he went on to describe the way that he would run a business with SPF. He, SPF would not have operational control. He would have trading control in this business venture that O'Leary has, I guess, in his head. Uh, his trading company went bankrupt. I don't, I don't know. What the F is O'Leary talking about? I'm sorry. You're not structuring this in a clever way. It's a stupid take. Yeah. Perhaps uh, the answer sticks to O'Leary's brand. He's all about the almighty dollar. And perhaps he would again be a paid shill for this new operation. Uh, he just doesn't give a rat's ass about anybody who may be losing money on this, you know, who lost money on the crypto exchange or investing uh, through any of the um, shit tokens, I'm sorry, that, that were created by this company. I used to really like Kevin O'Leary's takes on Dragon's Den and the Shark Tank, where he would not invest in anything if it didn't produce strong cash flow and growth and he paid a reasonable price for it. That really speaks to me and you know, kind of Keystone generally. He, he seems to have really gone off brand of late with the whole, whole hog backing of cryptos, given the fact that cryptocurrencies do not produce cash flow in its, themselves. It's hard for him using his strategy to value them. He really seems to kind of be flailing here and frankly looks out of his element. I'm sure he was paid well to promote these ex this exchange and its worthless coins, but doubling down, to me, that's the part. Just say you made a mistake and move on, but doubling down on SBF, to me, it's not a good look. Um, I, to quote himself, I think that his doubling down and SBF should be taken out behind the barn and shot. And that's all that should happen here, but that's just nice. not, not what has occurred. That. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I don't know what to make of that. I mean, if I go back to you know, kind of the start of my career in finance, I remember watching O'Leary and Amanda Lang on on business news, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the content back then. But as I actually you know began to develop a clue of how the finance industry worked, a lot of the things that he said I just felt were inconsistent and really didn't make a lot of sense. But I don't understand why you would make these statements about such a failed investment without, you know, some type of clarification in terms of like, what went wrong? What did you learn? Did you learn anything? But I think one of the things with O'Leary is that he's built up this persona that just is completely, completely based on, on his ego. I mean, he named himself Mr. Wonderful. Like it's like, it's like, it's like one of us naming ourselves Mr. Genius. Or something like that. who does that, right? Well, that's so for somebody, do. well, for Aaron somebody, does around the office, but yeah, that's, yeah but that's not publicly. Story. Yeah, it's true. Not publicly, at least, though, at least, at least true. It's true. Not, not, I, not I, dumb I keep, enough to I, do that, right? I keep my craziness behind closed <laughs> yes. doors, at least. At least, good idea to do that, yeah. right? At this so, point, so I mean, to me, part of being a, a good investor is understanding you are going to make mistakes now and again, right? And and just accepting that and learning and figuring out well, what is the lesson that I can learn from this you know, so I don't repeat that same mistake again. It would have been nice if he at least reflected on that a little bit or, or even, uh, even, you know, presented the idea that there was a lesson to be learned, but it didn't think it didn't seem, it just seemed like, as you said, Ryan, he's yeah. doubling down. Um, and, 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 and he is, he his, has his ego and yeah. yeah. And, and avoiding the cognitive dis dissonance that comes to making a bad decision. Yeah. You made yeah. a bad decision. And once again, like if, if you're a person, if you're an investor who says you want to know what, 
I believe in cash flow, but I've got like 2%, 5% of my portfolio, whatever it is, that I just throw on these speculative moonshot bets. Like if that's your perspective, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because you're recognizing that these are essentially gambles. So you're allocating a very small percentage of your portfolio. Um, I, I just, I don't have a clue what he's saying or what he's thinking. Yeah, I mean, he, I'm I mean, not going to spend much time on it. No, perhaps. Um, I mean, he has backed a, you know, a TSX, I think, or TSX Venture listed company, Wonderfy. And perhaps there's just some, you know, now he's so entrenched in the industry. Although, you know, you, you could promote your own ventures rather than something by SBF. Like going out and saying, a way to actually make it profitable and make it make sense. Or yeah. if it's not profitable, just say, listen, this is pure speculation. We're just and in that case, in that case, yeah, in that case, we've looked at Wonderfy. Um, yeah. And, you know, they, they had 3 million, 3.3 million in revenue in the last quarter. The operating loss on that business was 11.3 million. And that was not the revaluation of digital assets like you see in many of these companies. The revaluation of digital assets was only 711,000 of that loss of the 11 plus million loss in this business on 3.3 million in revenues. So, you know, this company is not creating cash flow. And if we looked at it from, and we do look at it from a fundamental perspective, you know, right now we wouldn't touch it from a, with a 10 foot pole. I mean, and you can, you can look at what the share price on this business has done over the course of this year to destroy capital. It started the year at 246, it's at 21 cents. Wonderfy Technologies, WNDR on the TSX. Um, you know, for us, it's not surprising when you see the significant losses there. So have, perhaps uh, Kevin is so entrenched in the industry, um, he just, you know, is saying only positive things. Although, you know, he, he called for regulation in the sector in the immediate wake of this and, you know, said he was going to Washington to call for regulation. But to say that when asked the question on SPF, do you think he's going to jail? Eh, I don't know. Like saying that you think there's a good likelihood, potentially it's 50-50, he may be going to jail, mm -hmm. but I still would back him again. What the so hell are you was, talking about? This was the like, exchange. This was the crypto exchange that took customer deposits and used them for the trading account. Am I correct? Yes. Right. Yes. And and this is the company that he highlights for having, uh, you know, great regulatory oversight. Compliance. Yeah. Well, he, he talked, I think, about the the SBF's parents or, or somebody involved being uh, like lawyers who drafted um uh, you know, regulation. It's just, it's just, anyway, it's, who cares who somebody, who's, who cares about who any of that? Are. You're not just, investing in the parents. You're investing in the, I anyways. think he may, there's a chance that he may go to jail and I'm backing him like it, yeah. within a minute of the same comment. I just, it just scratched. I scratched my head. Like, is it really all about ego here? Like that would be insane. Just, Oh, I, I, I think that it is. And I mean, I've always kind of looked at O'Leary as kind of a, I don't know, in a way, like a poor man's mini Trump, kind of like that's the persona that he was trying to get. And like, you know, Trump would never admit that he was wrong about anything. Now right? we're getting like, into that's... trouble. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> no, whatever. Just... But, but, it's, but it's true. Like, he would never, right? Like, it, 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 it would. And I kind of just see that maybe that's what the issue with O'Leary. Now, should I be psychoanalyzing this guy? Probably not. Yeah. But um, this is just my, you know, my impression from seeing his persona on TV and and I just, yeah, it I, seems like I love the cash flow. 
I love I love that whole push. I loved the persona around that. And if just sticking to that, I I would be I'd be very happy to continue to like it. But you know, here here it just doesn't look good. Yeah. yeah. And there's still time to come out and just say, you know what, I was wrong once again. Or we have some lessons to learn. Or yeah. I put in one. Everybody does. Of like, my fund or less than one percent. So it's one, something we can take One thing that on. we talk about and try to teach the guys in the office all the time and the, everybody in our office all the time is if we've dealt with a firm in the past, like a public company that we've interviewed management team, and then we've seen them do something that either that we think is untoward, that we don't approve of, or they've gotten trouble with regulators or anything like that. They've had guidance that they completely, you know, they completely missed and, and not because there was an extraneous circumstance because management was being dishonest in our opinion. We will not invest in that company's second venture or third venture because it speaks to the intellectual quality of the people in terms of, you know, it takes a certain type of character to do some of the things that people do in finance that you see do and, and you don't like to see. And we just won't invest in their second venture. It's, I think it's something you learn over time with experience. In this case, you've seen somebody do something and then you're doubling down on them. And that makes me angry that somebody yeah. would even, you know, come to that conclusion because in his case, there's a ton of people that follow his advice. And I think it's irresponsible. So, I mean, I think, you know, but we can joke around about it, but it's all it's about still. investing in the energy of the entrepreneur, right? He had great energy. So, yeah, yeah like that's, there's that's been a wonderful. bunch of rumors. Had a good, had a, had a good feeling in my gut. Like on, um, on Twitter, there was this guy named Ben Armstrong who started this thing called BitBoy Crypto, from my understanding. And he essentially says, shocking Kevin O'Leary bombshell. I'm hearing he was visited by a group of people who are forcing him to say positive things about SBF under the threat of physical violence and blackmail. Kevin then responds to him on Twitter and says, basically, this is total BS. Uh, no. And now, again, I used to like Kevin. I don't of course, like that's what, what he'd doing. say if this was happening. We're kidding. We're <laughs> not. Sorry, who is this, this guy, Brennan, who um, made this comment? Ben Armstrong. His Somebody on is, the internet made a comment. He, he's a questionable guy. Uh, just, he's a big. Yeah, he he's is like credible. A big, okay. No, he's, yeah, he's, like he's a, questionable he's, at times. He's questionable. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he's like a okay. big Bitcoin and crypto fanboy. Yeah. But essentially, what, what I don't like is, you know, all of a sudden the, these guys are going back and forth at each other. All right now, Kevin O'Leary, you're really pissing me off, he says. And they're going back and forth. And Kevin says, bring it on. It's a pissing match. I eat guys like you for lunch. I'm sorry, Kevin. (laughs) Uh, Don't. The thing that, yeah, the the thing that I, that I, that I think is, is stupid about that is just that O'Leary is spending his time doing it. Exactly. For this Bitcoin guy, for sure, it makes sense for him. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's, that's smart yeah. move. I mean, getting him to respond. Get, we, we, we'd get in a Twitter battle with O'Leary right now, but I, was figuring, <laughs> I just figured he wouldn't be dumb enough to take the bait, but I, I mean, if he is, apparently he might be, I know. Right. You're maybe, on Twitter. Maybe, send something out. Yeah. He'll see this and start ripping. That'll send out my chump comment. That'll, that'll trigger him. Yeah. Oh God. Anyways, right. Kevin, we're calling you to still come out and say you made a stupid statement. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna do- double back and say, you know, I wouldn't back him again. It's yeah. not a smart move, and just, and investors just, shouldn't do that. If you have a company that you've invested in, a a small micro cap, a large firm, a a mining company, and the management team did something stupid or did something that you think um, could be fraudulent, you know, came out with guidance that was just well beyond anything that is reasonable. 
stop investing in that the the management team's second and third and fourth bent, ventures. You will do yourself a big favor long term. Stick with quality management teams that have track records over time or new teams that continue to hit on their guidance over the long term. This will serve you well investing. Do not do what Kevin is doing here and doubling down on somebody who does something that's at all shady. It's just not smart. So that, yeah. that's what we're trying to get at here today, if we yeah. want to put it simply. Final all right, question let's move for on. O'Leary. Final question for O'Leary. <laughs> Would you still back his next venture if he goes to jail and yes, starts his venture that. from inside prison? Well, yes. I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> well, He's also, a brilliant trader, although he did lose. Oh, very anyways. ethical. All right, let's, let's move, move let's move on. Let's move Kathy on. Wood oh, launches new ETF. Yes. Yeah, okay. I know. So Jeez. keeping it keeping it uh keeping it on the positive side here. So Kathy Wood is a name that uh I'd say she's pretty famous in the investment community. I, I started hearing about her about two years ago when the tech market was peaking, maybe you know, a year and a half ago. And there are a lot of articles circulating at the time about how Kathy Wood was the next Warren Buffett, right? So if I see something like that, I usually take notice. And I think Kevin O'Leary was the next Warren Buffett. Everybody's the next yeah, everybody's Warren Buffett. Everybody's the next. Have a good year, right? Even though yeah. their investment strategy mm-hmm. has nothing to do with Warren Buffett. But anyway, she's back in the news. She um, couldn't be farther I, from her that Warren Buffett strategy in terms of her strategy. Couldn't be Anyways, further. Could not be finish. further. Sorry. But yeah, Sorry. But, so she's back. That's all right. But she's back in the news. Um, I came across a couple news releases mentioning Kathy Wood last week. And what this is all about is uh, BMO Investments launches new funds with ETF series managed by ARK Investment Management. So ARK Investment Management is the is the inv- investment management firm that Kathy Wood runs. And her main flagship uh, ETF is the ARK Innovation Fund. So basically, this is, a, is an ETF that invests in what she believes are some of the most innovative companies in the world. So companies that are bringing technologies essentially that will change the world or, or which she thinks will change the world. So that's what the, the fund is based on. Uh, why is this news? Why, why does anybody care that BMO is launching some new funds with Kathy Woods? Well, the reason for that is because according to Bloomberg, Kathy Woods Arc Investment Management has had the worst performance year to date, at least as of June 1st, compared to any other major top ETF in, in the United States. So this, this is the top 25 ETFs in the US, of which Kathy's ARK Innovation Fund was a part. Um, and according to Bloomberg, that fund has had the worst performance. So what do they say here? ARK's lineup holds 15.3 billion across nine ETFs, a 48% decrease from the start of 2022 um, as of June 1st. So this is actually, I believe that the fund is down about 66% now. Um, That's the biggest collapse in assets amongst the 25 largest U.S. issuers. So this is what her flagship fund looks like. Uh, Absolutely went haywire uh, in 2020 and in the first part of 2021 or leading into 2021 uh, and then since then, it's been catastrophic for investors. So the the, the fund is down 75% from its peak uh, in about a year ago. And I believe it's down about 65% more or less. Somebody can check the numbers um, year to date. So the question really is, if she has the worst performing fund amongst the top 25 ETFs in the US, 
why is BMO starting new funds with her? Like, why is she being rewarded with new funds? Well, I can kind of get the mentality here. So she's she's a technology innovation investor. Now, any, any investment manager who is tech heavy um, a year ago is going to have really poor poor performance. I mean, we've gone over the tech sector in the US, software companies, especially the, the high growth SaaS software style businesses, the highly, the ones that were considered the most innovative companies um, in the world have had the worst performance. So just as an example, you know, Zoom, everybody used Zoom. Uh, it was at, it was critical infrastructure during the pandemic. That stock is down about 85% from its highs a year ago, right? So anybody who has invested in these types of companies is going to perform poorly. So I can understand the mentality of, well, now, you know, with so much, so many of these companies down, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90% even, maybe now is the time to start investing in them. Um, but I think that's too simplistic an approach. I want to actually see what she's investing in and take a look at her investment abilities from that perspective and maybe talk a little bit about the risks. So top 10 holdings in in the ARK Innovation Fund, um, right up at the top of the list, you know, Tesla, Zoom, the top two companies. Now, these are these are legitimate companies. I mean, Tesla, certainly not my favorite stock, not something I would invest in, but they are generating profit, good revenue growth. Zoom's another one, uh, you know, that was the pandemic boom story. It has, it's down, like I said, about 85% from its, from its highs about a year ago. Um, but they're generating earnings right now. Um, earnings have come down, but you know, once they once they bottom out, you, you're looking at you know good potential for the for the stock to start to recover from there. But what about the other companies? So we have we have eight other companies on this list, and what do they look up look like? So I went through these companies just to take a look at the fundamentals to get a good picture of the types of businesses that this fund is invested in. And what I see is just the general trend here is that there is no focus whatsoever on profitability and cash flow in these investments. So Roku, okay, they they burnt about 21 million in cash flow over the last 12 months, not a big deal. Um, Intellia burnt about 300 million. Uh, CRISPR burnt almost half a billion. Um, going down to the bottom of the list, you have a couple companies here, Block, Teladoc, you know, they actually did generate positive cash flow. That's good. And then there's Coinbase, which is a crypto, uh, crypto company. Uh, they burnt 1.8 billion over the last 12 months. So there's obviously a, a, a clear pattern here, and that's that this fund is not investing in companies that are generating profitability and cash flow. And if I were to look at just say these these top these these six companies that are burning huge amounts of cash flow from the from the top ten, they account for just over fifty percent of the top ten holdings. I'm going to assume as we go down the list into the other companies, although I haven't actually looked at them myself, but I'm going to assume that profitability isn't much of a focus in those names either. So we can pretty safely make the assumption that 50% or more of the companies that she's invested in are burning through a lot of cash flow. Now, why is that a problem? I mean, people know that, you know, a lot of these innovative companies, they have to burn cash in order to invest in their business um, in order to grow over time and, and, and um, take advantage of these opportunities that they have. Uh, but there is a problem with this, and it's 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 something that anybody who invests in the fund needs to take into account in this particular market environment. All of these companies have been absolutely smashed in the stock market. Uh, I haven't gone through the individuals, but uh, like I said, Zoom ate down eighty five percent. You know, seventy to ninety percent is not at all unusual in terms of declines for these companies. 
So the ability to raise money by selling shares in this market is extremely limited. And if you're able to do it, you have to issue a lot of shares to raise what is a relatively small sum of money compared to what you could have done a year ago. Debt is not really a great option either because most creditors don't want to lend money to companies that are burning through a ton of cash flow. And cash flow is the lifeblood of the business. Every company needs cash flow in order to survive. You have to pay your suppliers. You have to pay your rent. You have to pay your, pay your employees. So the cash flow has to come from somewhere. Now, if a company is generating positive cash flow, they can deal with a challenging market like this for a longer period of time because they are not under pressure to go back to the market or go to the bank in order just to fund their business's survival. But when you're losing half a billion dollars a year, almost $2 billion a year, at some point, unless you can turn that business around and start to generate significant free cash flow, you're going to have to get that money from somewhere. So either you're going to have to raise that money at ridiculously high rates, which is usually extremely dilutive to existing shareholders, or you're just going to go out of business because you can't raise any money. And this is the big risk that I see with a fund like this. Now, if we enter into 2023, the economy looks good, inflation comes down, rates don't continue to increase or interest rates come down, everybody gets happy again. I think that a fund like this could do really well and from a speculative perspective. But if this bear market lasts longer, if we're looking at like a, 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 a one to two or two to three year recession or bear market, and I'm not saying that that's what we expect, but if that happens, I am expecting that some of these businesses are just going to cease to exist. Now, they won't necessarily go bankrupt. They may sell themselves for a pittance to another company. But for existing investors, that's really a moot point. It means they're going to suffer almost 100% loss or at least a very large loss. And this is the main risk that I see from Kathy Wood's fund. Now, she made a statement here um, in the press release issued by BMO. She said, we believe that in the global equity market, truly disruptive innovation is priced at roughly $7 trillion. We believe that number is going to $210 trillion in 2030. Can, can so I just say, isn't it nice to be able to pull figures out of your butt? I would love like, to honestly, just be able like, to what, do that. What the yeah. heck? Where does that figure come from? Like, well, I would love for the to know. love of God. Because, because like, so, so this would mean, so it's going from less nice than 10% of the market. But... Oh, it's a beautiful marketing statement <sighs> because people are seeing the opportunity. But, you know, the more a company markets or uh, an investment manager markets, the more you have to be cautious, right? So she, so, so she's saying, so it's going, these highly disruptive industries are going from less than 10% of the market to more than 50% of the market by okay. 2030. So this is, you know, about seven years from now, they're going to be 50% of the market. Yeah. And that yeah. includes, you know, relative to all energy stocks, relative to all industrial stocks, real estate, just about every other business you can think it's of. It's going to happen. When I, start, yeah, when I start computing the numbers in my head, I'm thinking this might be just a little overly optimistic. Now, I have no doubt that some of these companies can, if they survive the market downturn, go on to do some pretty great things. But... You know, when I look at the, the the construction of her fund, I have to think, I mean, we we analyze software stocks ourselves, some of the most innovative companies in the world, but companies that are also generating a lot of free cash flow, companies that are in the space of AI, automation, cybersecurity, cloud computing. These are innovative companies that are traded the world too. The difference is they're actually 
they're, they're changing the world, but they're actually making money while they're doing it. And these are the companies that I'm not worried about over the next two to three years because they don't need to go to the market to raise money. So my question is just, why don't we see more of these names amongst the top 10? Um, and I'm not going to make any prediction as to where ARK Innovation is going to go. I'm just going to say the risk is extremely high. This fund could end up doing really well if the market recovers, interest flows back into tech, um, and the economy is good. But if we're in for a prolonged recession, some of these companies are going to have some real problems, and the downside on ARK in in Innovation is likely far from over in that scenario. Um, we may just be seeing the beginning, um, depending on what happens with the economy. So for anybody who loves this type of investment, once again, it's not that you can't put your money in these types of companies, but understand what you're doing. Understand it's really a speculation and you need to make sure that you limit the amount that you invest in these profitless businesses, cash flow burning businesses, limit it to the amount that you can afford to lose. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a speech earlier this year and uh, spent five to eight minutes in it on the ARC Innovation Fund as like as a warning that the this is after it was down forty five percent at that time in early February, and uh, you know I went through what Aaron did there. I went through the top twelve holdings, and on a price to sales basis, the valuations were ridiculous. I think there was one company perhaps that had cash flow or earnings in Coinbase at that time. I think that and we that was pulling out Tesla uh, from the mix, and it it just like the stock is it was at seventy two now, and uh, what is it at today? Or the ETF? Sorry, it's thirty five. It's it's gone in half again from mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. Still, the valuations on the top, you know, twelve holdings, they're still not expressively cheap. Like they're not even close to that, and some of them don't even have earnings. So, I mean, just just. Another you know, issue that, that, yeah, no, finish, sorry. I'll, I'll well, I mean, I would just say, like, it, you're still not buying at anywhere close to being blood in the streets. And the the company went down almost 50%, then went down another 50% from there. You'd think that this fund was then trading at levels that must be, you know, make it extremely cheap and its constituents within it are, are extremely cheap. That's not the case here. This this company, and Aaron talked about it, what it needs for this fund or a new fund in this segment to start going again is rosy markets. Like that is not what you should look for when you are investing in any type of investment. We need really positive markets. Then this stock will do well, or then this investment, this fund will do well. Um, you know, have a company or a base of companies that can do well, you know, and have some resiliency in most market conditions. And in this case, I don't think you see that. And I think the discipline is just, is such a, you've picked the word innovation and you've then espoused this, this moniker on companies that you think are innovated and you haven't had any discipline to the fundamentals of the business. And that's why you've already destroyed the capital within this fund over the past several years. Uh, you need such a recovery in this fund to then gain back anybody's money who has invested in it over the past several years. And like, I think we look back at now, like this had a tremendous track record over a four or five year period. I mean, do you have the figures over the last four or five years? Yeah, I looked fund? at them. So if you go back to 2014, um, the, the, which is when the fund was initiated, the average return 
um, annually is about 9.5% per year. So it's still a positive return, but that puts it on about par with the S&P 500. Yeah, I think the NASDAQ, though, has crushed it over that period, has it not? No, yeah, the NASDAQ has. I believe the NASDAQ was around 13% per year after the big, this is, I I mean, everything's dropped since then. But so so I don't know why the benchmark that they chose to put alongside um, ARK Innovation in their own, in their own, a fact sheet. I don't know why it's the S and P five hundred. Well, because the NASDAQ, the NASDAK doesn't make NASDAQ it look good. One hundred. That's why. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, you know, another thing that I want to mention too, and this is something that I think is really important. We we did a segment in the past about how share based compensation has been used by these companies to fund a lot of their salary expense, right? So they offer employee shares instead of paying them in cash. Well, this was great for employees when the shares were going up every year. But now with the way the markets have, there, if there's a, the, the way that the markets have declined, there's a big risk that a lot of these employees are going to be asking for payment, um, more of a percentage of their, of their salary in cash as opposed to just shares. If that happens, you're going to see these, these cash burn numbers get even worse and potentially a lot worse. Or you lose employees or you keep employees, but they're demotivated and less productive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think that uh, BMO is trying to capitalize on a name here, and that's what uh, it is. Yeah, I'm not sure if this name should be a name that is capitalized on. And if you were truly picking the most innovative companies in the sector over that four or five year period, you should have beaten significantly the Nasdaq, which you, you know you, you would have, be home yeah. to would be home to some of the more innovative technology based companies. And the right. fact that you haven't come close to beating it you know, over a five-year period should then say that you don't really know what you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm just well, And, and let's like, like let's use the example of Zoom because Zoom is the second biggest holding in the portfolio. So Zoom, I mean, I think Zoom right now- It's actually first now. Oh, is it first yeah, now? Okay, I, I, so I those- holding top, yeah. Okay, so that the Tesla probably declined it's second, more. Yeah. yeah, so this those numbers were as of September 30th, I think. So mm-hmm. one of the top holdings, right? Um, top holding right now. So if you look at, at Zoom- Back during the peak, the stock then traded at at 70 times sales, 70 times sales. And the valuation was so high. It was over like 150 times earnings, maybe even over 200 times earnings. I don't know exactly because once it gets much over 100 times earnings, I figured there's not really much point in looking at the P ratio. That's not what the market's looking at. But 70 times earnings even would be what we would consider to be a relatively expensive valuation. And there was great stocks even in the peak profitable companies, great companies that you could buy at that valuation. Zoom at that point was trading at 70 times sales, right? So, you know, it, the, the writing should have been on the wall that the valuation was stretched and that there was an opportunity to take some profits. That would have been that would have been a great opportunity to get some cash injection in the portfolio. Uh, I wasn't tracking what she was saying about those companies. I don't know. Um, but, you know, certainly if you're going to make a comment on Zoom, at the peak, it should have been that the valuation is is high and stretched. Unless you and, just and, don't look at And Zoom, as far as I understand, they keep investing in it. Uh, it's it's 25 times earnings now, mm-hmm. which yep. looks better. But the growth in constant currency even was just 7% in revenues in the last Yeah, no, growth has come way down. And now so, what you're, you're going to get is you're going to get a lower growth rate. You know, they'll yeah. probably bottom out somewhere, maybe this year, maybe next year. And then you're going to get a lower reasonable growth rate because now it's a more 
you know, more of a mature business. It might be a, yeah. a if it's going to trade, if it's going to have five to 10% growth in revenues, like it should actually probably not trade at 25 times earnings. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it trades at 15, 20. So like it could still have a re-rating of its multiple lower. And, it could, know, I mean, we're be, looking, we're and, looking and, at it closely. We think that the, it's, it's a potential <laughs> over the next year or so, but yeah, I want to see, I want to see what the normalized growth looks like. Uh, and just to and then we have to pull out the stock-based compensation because we're probably oh, looking yeah. at adjusted earnings there. So like we're probably going off adjusted earnings. Like the earnings on a gap basis are probably the PE is significantly higher. So mm-hmm. anyways, just something to keep a look at. Yeah. Um, right. we, we're going to have Brennan. He's going to answer a question, give you a chance to speak. Right, Brennan? That'd be nice. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. So uh, what? What do you? What it, you pronounce this company's name? Because I, I, I'm sure there's some Twitter or some Brandon's online warriors. Pressure's on, Brandon. Yeah. It's, what yeah, is I it, Brandon? Quarvo. I think it's wrong. Quarvo. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> Quor- How can Quorvo? we trust your analysis of the numbers if you can't yeah, pronounce? Isn't that uh, a, a tequila? A, a made-up word. Like, come on. <laughs> I don't know if it's a tequila. I, 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 can't say I don't know if it's a made-up my... word can't say tequila is my choice of liquor. So anyways, um, so yeah, this, this question came in from one of our, the Bellini uh, is your choice. Ah, uh, well, let's, you know, that might be a, up Aaron's <laughs> Now you're thinking about me. You know, I just like those, <laughs> hey, I like those I, barley I sandwiches out here in Saskatchewan. So, uh, anyways, uh, we had a question come in from Manuel and he's uh, a U.S. growth stock client. So thank you for sending this in Manuel. And he says, could you provide a synopsis on Corvo's growth prospects and valuation for investment? So Corvo Inc, QRVO on the NASDAQ currently trades at a price of around $95 and has about a $9.7 billion market cap. So the company develops, commercializes, or develops and commercializes technologies and products for wireless, wired, and power markets worldwide. Uh, The company operates through three segments now. They actually just increased it to three segments recently. Uh, So these are their high-performance analog segment, their connectivity and sensor segment, as well as their advanced cellular segment. So essentially, the company offers mobile devices such as smartphones, wearables, laptops, tablets, and other devices, as well as it provides SIC or silicon carbide products such as ScottKey, diodes and transistors for automotive industrial it infrastructure and renewable energy markets uh the internet's probably going to rip me apart on how i pronounce that anyways uh so the stock is down about 52 percent from its 2021 highs of approximately 200 dollars per share and on november 2nd the company announced a two billion dollar share repurchase program which is good to see while the stock has been hit pretty hard in the market so looking at the uh fiscal Q2 2023 results, which were actually just reported on November 2nd, revenue was down about 7.7% to 1.16 billion. Uh, Looking at their segments, the high performance analog uh, segment revenue was actually up 47% year over year, driven by defense and non-consumer related power products, including silicon carbide. Their connectivity and sensor segment was down about 19% year over year due to weaker consumer spend, primarily for Wi-Fi enabled products. And their advanced cellular segment was down about 15% year over year, reflecting uh, lower smartphone unit volumes within the Android ecosystem. Gross margins were also down about 3% to 46.5%. 
and looking at profitability, they posted gap diluted EPS of about $1.82 per share, which is a down 36% uh, from the same quarter last year. And adjusted EPS was down about 22% to $2.66 per share. And I did look at the adjustments that were made, uh, getting gap to non-gap. Uh, EPS and the biggest adjustment to non-GAAP EPS was stock-based compensation, which equates to about thirty cents uh, per share, which we added back to GAAP EPS, or which they added back to GAAP EPS. And just quickly looking at the balance sheet, they have net debt of approximately one point one four billion and a trailing net debt to EBITDA multiple of under one time. So that doesn't look too bad. Now the company did provide guidance for their Q three twenty twenty three. And it doesn't look very good. So they anticipate revenue to be between 700 to 750 million. So at the midpoint, this would indicate a sequential decline of 37% and would be the lowest revenue seen since the quarter ended March of 2020. So, you know, several quarters uh, in between, they're hitting a new low, which we don't like to see. And for non-GAAP diluted EPS, they provided a range of $0.50 to $0.75 per share. And at the midpoint, this would mean adjusted EPS would be down 79% year over year from Q3 of 2021. And utilizing this adjusted EPS guidance, the company trades with a forward price to adjusted EPS multiple of about 11 times, which you know you could say looks reasonable, but looking at its growth prospects, maybe pricing it around fair value or even overvalued. Now, I just wanted to pull out a couple comments made by management um, on their conference call, uh, looking at the guidance. So they say, our current view of the second half of the fiscal year reflects ongoing weakness across end markets, primarily in consumer-related areas, as well as a more acute inventory correction at our Android smartphone customers than was previously predicted. At the volume levels assumed in our guidance, we expect our inventory position to remain elevated, but improve by the end of the fiscal year as we undership normalized demand and reduced factory utilization. Simultaneously, we are cutting costs in our factories to offset the impact from lower volumes. Unabsorbed fixed costs will impact gross margin in the second half. And they went on to say, the most dominant headwind is the factory underutilization, which is generating over 700 basis points of gross margin headwind, which is not good. So to conclude, it appears that headwinds are anticipated to persist through the second half of the company's fiscal 2023. Therefore, I would remain patient with the business as we will likely see the next two quarters post lower revenue and profitability than what we have seen with quarters over the last two years. Overall, I will say that the company has a good track record of growing revenue and profitability. And right now it trades with, you could say, reasonable valuation multiples. But given the weakness anticipated in its operations, these multiples may continue to increase and they probably will as profitability declines from elevated levels. So again, I think this is just one that we would monitor until it shows some signs of recovering towards growth and profitability. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't, you know, the, the negative growth going forward in terms of the next quarter, just it, it's, it's something that we would stay away from at this point. Uh, it just doesn't meet our criteria. We want to see growth moving forward at a reasonable price. There's no growth in this business at least in the next quarter. And, you know, there's no outlook that shows us right now uh, a growth path 
near term on the business. So it would be something that we would avoid, even if we thought it was expressively cheap, which really on an earnings basis, once you take out some of those, uh, you know, share compensation numbers, it's actually not even that cheap, particularly, no. you know, when you have no growth. And like you said many times before is when you see a company posting, you know, substantially lower revenue and profitability in following quarters, it's hard for a stock to actually, you know, gain some momentum and go for a run. You know, it's hard to see a stock actually increase in that kind of environment. Well, the fundamentals of the business aren't so bright. Unless something completely unexpected happens, which you're just crossing your fingers. We're not going to do that. We don't see growth path right now. We wouldn't invest in it. That would be quite simple. So let's move on to it's Revolut Group. Yeah. Revolut Group. Uh, I'm not sure if there's going to be a ton to look at here, but we'll we'll answer the listener question, right? Yeah, no, we'll, we'll go through it. We got a question from Navid K on YouTube, and uh, anyone else who has a question on, even if it's a small cap like this one, please ask. Yep, for sure. Yeah, okay, so this is Revolut Group, symbol R E V L O. On the TSX Venture, it is a self-licensed neobank having secured licenses in Canada, the EU, and the US. The company's flagship technology is Revolut Pay, an Android and Apple multinational payment app, and as well has interconnection with Visa. The app is aimed at worldwide le- the worldwide leisure sector and family remittance market, so it's pretty much just a payment transfer system, and the cur- shares are currently trading at $0.30, cents, with the market cap being $57 million. The company only produced revenue of 91,000 Canadian last quarter and had a net loss of 440,000. The company is not pre-revenue, but it's in its very early stages. So you're looking at a very high valuation on any fundamental value. And it's also unlikely to see any profitability in the near future. But they do have a cash position, a net net cash position as it is, of 957,000 at the last quarter. And it's also raised an additional 229000 from its, generally, it's the CEO and other board members uh, executing their warrants, and it's been 229000 from that. But it has been burning cash of 359000 from operations in the last quarter. So it has a few quarters of runway if it didn't have any additional cash raise. But it's actively raising cash as it goes, so you're seeing a bit of dilution, about 9% to hold on to his net cap net cash position at this time. The company does have a runway of growth due to the overall size of the payment market. It's in the hundreds of billions, depending on the exact sector and the exact market, but it has a ton of runway. We, we see these all the time. It doesn't mean they're even going to take even a tiny percent of these markets, but it is a runway. The company does have the advantage of being MICA compliant in the EU, which is to do with the cryptocurrency market and it's claims to be the only one that has that compliance within the 27 countries. Following the collapse of FTX, calls before more regulations have occurred, which does put Revolut in an advantageous position. Despite being unprofitable, Revolut does have a chance of short-term returns. As it is looking to be acquired by an unnamed European financially regulated entity, the acquisition has passed the due diligence phase, which means the likelihood is slightly higher than the initial stages, and it is by no means guaranteed at this point, though. The company's price is currently trading on the expectations of a deal being made. Before the initial announcements of a potential acquisition, the stock was generally trading about at $0.20 cents or so, to the at the higher end, $0.25, cents, but normally closer to $0.20. Cents. Since the a- 
announcement of the acquisition, it is traded as high as 40 cents. So 100% premium from the pre-announcement price. So if the deal does fall through, you'd likely see an immediate fall down to that 20 cent level. Whereas if it does go through, you'd receive the currently undisclosed premium on top of the current price. So this is by no means a long-term investment at the current price. It is an event-driven trade on the potential acquisition. We stay away from these event trades. It is purely a trade, a gamble of sorts, even though if, if you do weigh the odds, some people will find these are worth it. But for us, it's just never worth it. That being said, the underlying technology does clearly have value as there is interest and it is a company to watch going forward. Yeah. One other thing I notice about the the digital payment companies, there's there's quite a few stocks mm-hmm. in that area. Um, you know, and they've they pulled back a lot just overall, right? So it's it's not been a great space to invest. But there's a lot of companies at the top of that market that are still highly profitable. They're making a lot of money doing what they do. So, you know, I would look at those companies first if I wanted to get into the digital payment space and uh before I would look at a company that's that's burning cash flow. Yeah, I mean, it just looks like a lottery ticket and you might have more fun just going to Vegas and putting your money down on black. I mean, we because ha- it's hard what to happens have any. when you're in Vegas, though, right? Of course. Yeah. But uh, we, we, we have no real way to analyze this company. The cash flow isn't there for us to look mm-hmm. at the business. Uh, you know, revenues are still very small and they're burning through cash. You know, if this deal doesn't go through, I mean, they better start producing com- cash flow at some point or they're going to have to continue to uh, issue shares to you know keep the lights on in the business going forward so you know that'll be issuing them at a, at a lower and lower valuation which to them over is time, a higher yeah. and higher yeah. cost or yeah. uh, should i say to their current shareholders is a higher mm-hmm. higher cost yeah okay well that will answer that question and i think that'll end our show for this week keep your questions coming in to our your stock our take segment Smash the subscribe button if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this on the podcast, rate and review us on iTunes. Keep those questions coming in. We'll answer your question. You want us to compare two companies, we can do that as well. And always, as always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.